Let's pray this morning. Father, we are so thankful that we have the privilege to gather as your people this morning to hear from your word. And as we look to the scriptures this morning, we ask that your spirit might help us to understand. Lord, that we would be impressed yet again with the greatness of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, in the film adaptation of the Broadway musical, The Sound of Music, the lead character, Maria, sings a song at one point entitled, I Have Confidence. Now, before you roll your eyes, because that's not typically the music genre reference you hear from the pulpit here, I view it as my job and duty as the music guy to make sure we're a well-rounded congregation, so... I thought I would bring up Broadway musicals again. And to my defense, it's been a year since I did it last. I checked. so. But this song's been in my head all week as I've been studying this passage, and I thought I would share that with you. If you know the song, maybe it'll be stuck in your head this week. But at one point in the film, Maria sings the song, I Have Confidence. She's faced with a seemingly impossible task, one that is weighing heavy on her, something she thinks she can't do, there's no way, and she's looking for some confidence as she goes to face that task. And she sings, with each step I am more certain, everything will turn out fine. I have confidence, the world can all be mine. They'll have to agree, I have confidence in me. Confidence isn't a bad thing. Maybe it's a bad thing to have an overabundance of confidence, uh, prideful arrogance, that would be bad. But here, as Maria is looking for confidence, we face the same thing in life various times and in various circumstances. We need confidence, and that's a good and right thing to be confident, Uh, to have a certainty or a firm trust, a conviction as the basis for what we're about to do or how we think about something. That's confidence. Well, the passage we're going to be looking at this morning Uh, The Apostle Paul is dealing somewhat with the matter of confidence. You can turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 2 through 11 of Philippians 3. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul is getting to the matter of confidence, more specifically, where is it that you are looking for your confidence? Where is it you are finding your confidence? What is your confidence based on as you stand before God? Where is your confidence? Where are you finding it? What's the basis for that confidence as you stand before God? And as we'll see in the passage, the Apostle Paul is going to identify uh, two different types of confidence, if you will. Two different types. Uh, The first one he's going to identify is a prideful confidence in Self, a prideful confidence in self. The second is a humble confidence in Christ. A humble confidence in Christ. And then after he's identified these two different types of confidence, he'll then use himself as an example and talk about his previous confidence as one who has been there, done that, maybe we could say. And then finally, we'll look at Paul's present confidence. So we'll begin first by looking at 
verses 2 and 3 of Philippians chapter 3, where Paul is going to identify for us two different types of confidence. If you're thinking about where your confidence comes from as you stand before a holy God, how is that you can stand before him? He's going to highlight two places that people look for that confidence. Look with me at verses 2 and 3. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. First, we'll see here in verse 2, this prideful confidence in self or a prideful confidence in the flesh. Paul uses uh, a, a warning to get to this matter of confidence. He's doing as he's done earlier in the book of Philippians by warning the church against opponents, opponents of the gospel. Paul had earlier talked to the Philippians and wrote to them, even in chapter 1, about how they ought to be those who are standing firm, standing side by side, together, striving for advancing the gospel, promoting the gospel. But he also says that they ought to defend the gospel. And he mentions other places in Philippians about opponents of the gospel, those who are coming into the church or already in the church and are trying to advocate for a different gospel, which he writes in Galatians is no gospel at all. It's a false gospel. And here he's recognizing some of those opponents and he's pointing them out to the church at Philippi. He says to beware of them, to be on guard against them. He's identifying error in others. And we must be those who are knowing the gospel and able to identify these errors, to be able to identify those who are preaching a false gospel. And here Paul says, look out for them. Beware of them. There they are. Watch out. And he calls them three very ironic names, if you will. He calls them dogs. He calls them evildoers. And he calls them those who mutilate the flesh. The first one where he says, look out for the dogs. He's highlighting the fact that they're unclean, they're impure, they're, they're outside the people of God. And this is a role reversal that Paul is doing here because the Gentiles were normally referred to as the dogs. The Jews would call them dogs because they were outside of the people of God. Well, here, Paul writing to Gentile Christians is saying, look out for the dogs, and he's pointing back to Judaizers, those who come in and advocate that Gentile Christians would now, having trusted in Jesus, be all about keeping God's law to assure that they would stand before God acceptable. In fact, Paul writes all about this in Galatians, talking about these Judaizers. In the book of Acts, we learn that the Judaizers are those who say that unless you are circumcised, According to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So Paul now is identifying these Judaizers as those who are actually outside the people of God and telling these Gentiles they're dogs. Look out for them. And he calls them evildoers. Look out for evildoers. Uh, Probably in reference to Psalm 5 and 6 where we see those who are workers of evil, those who do evil deeds opposed to what God 
would have us do. And he's pointing them out as those who are evildoers. Now, it's not that the Judaizers who were all about keeping God's law and really obsessed with pursuing perfection and stacking up achievements by obeying God's law, it's not that what they were doing was evil in and of itself. It was that they put all of their confidence and hope in that doing of those works and those achievements. It was actually evil in reality. It was harmful to them that they would try to pursue a perfection or a righteousness by what they did and how they obeyed God's law. And so he calls them evildoers. So look out for dogs. Look out for those evildoers. And then finally he says, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, here he's highlighting circumcision. And as I mentioned in Acts 15, they would be coming in and these Judaizer missionaries would be coming and saying, oh, you Gentile Christians, those who are trusting in Christ for salvation, you must now be circumcised and you must now do these things. He's saying, I can't even call what they do circumcision because they're doing it for the wrong reasons. And so he says, I can't even call it circumcision. I call it those who mutilate the flesh. Because the Judaizers, these who he's pointing out to the church at Philippi, are those who have put all of their confidence pridefully in the flesh. Literally. That's where they put all of their confidence. They pursue perfection. They pursue acceptance before God by means of performance, by means of works, by what they're doing, by what they're achieving. So here he's highlighting, look out, look for that. That's a prideful confidence in self, a prideful confidence in the flesh. Well, then in verse 3, Paul highlights a humble confidence in Christ, that confidence that the Christian, the true Christians ought to have. He says in verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. He says, they're going to come in and tell you, you must be circumcised. You must do all these things. Put your confidence in what you're doing. I'm telling you, no, we are the circumcision, the circumcision, the true people of God. Those who have been inheritors of the promises of God to his people. And then what he says are, three different qualities of these people of God, highlighting that everything about who we are as God's true people is because of the work of Christ. And our confidence is not in ourselves as those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. He says in verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. Now, as the Judaizers would have been all about adhering to laws and commands, rituals, uh, here he's saying, let's talk about these, this religious life, if you will. We have a religious life, a life of service to God. We worship God with our life, and that's because we have access to God by the Spirit, the work of the Spirit in us because of what the Son has done. We're enabled by the Holy Spirit, Paul is saying, to live a life in which we would serve God and please Him. Not because of what we're doing, but because of the enabling power of the Holy Spirit in us, the true people of God, the circumcision. And then he says in verse 3, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. 
as the Judaizers have put all their confidence, all their boasting, everything about them was in their works and what they have done. He's saying, no, for the true Christian, all of our boasting, all of our glory, everything about us is Christ. It's him. It's humbling ourselves before him and seeing that we in and of ourselves could never do all that the Judaizers are advocating to earn a standing before God where we would be acceptable. He's saying, no, we know that the only acceptance we have before God is with Christ. So we glory in Christ, not ourself. Reminds me of what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians one thirty-one: Let one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We're not boasting in ourselves, Paul says. It's Christ. We glory in Christ Jesus. And then finally in verse 3, he says, And put no confidence in the flesh. No doubt referring to circumcision again and how the Judaizers would have advocated for an adherence to God's law. He says, we have no cause for boasting, no cause for confidence in ourselves because we are those who have been saved because of the works of Christ, our Savior. That is where we place our faith, our trust is in Him, not in ourselves. So Paul is identifying confidence found in two different places. One that's in self, it's prideful, it's in works, what we've done, what we achieve, and then the confidence of a Christian that is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Having identified now those two types of confidence, Paul is then going to use this autobiographical sketch of himself to essentially say, confidence in the flesh, Judaizers, really? Well, I've got confidence in the flesh, if anybody does. And he wants us to see what his previous confidence was. Look with me at verses 4 through 6. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So Paul now puts himself on the side of the Judaizers and says, oh, you guys think you have confidence in the flesh. I have reason to have confidence and then some. Some might even say that if you took all the confidence of all the Judaizers and put them together, you might get to where Paul's confidence was when he was finding confidence in the flesh. He wants us to see that he was one who had counted his achievements. He was one who was putting all of his hope, all of his confidence in works, in achieving and pursuing perfection. And to do so, he lines out seven uh, privileges and achievements that he has on his side, if that were be to the way he was to achieve a righteous standing before God. There are three that are more specifically about himself, and the rest are about what he has done. If you look with me at verse 5, where he starts to list them out, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. First, he was circumcised on the eighth day. He's saying, listen, my parents, they did exactly as they were commanded to do in God's law. I was to be circumcised on the eighth day after I was a week old. They did that. And that circumcision 
was a sign and a seal of the covenant that God had made to his people. Uh, thinking back to Genesis 17 and Abraham. He said, I, I had that done as was necessary. Not only that, I've, I'm of the people of Israel. I'm an Israelite by birth. Not someone who just claims to be an Israelite, but I'm an Israelite by birth. This would have been a term of, of privilege, a status of privilege and honor to be called an Israelite. Uh, thinking of Romans chapter 9, verse 5, where it says, To them, speaking of the Israelites, to them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. To belong to the people of Israel was a term of privilege. And then he says, not only of the people of Israel, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, he goes on in verse 5. This is something he mentions elsewhere in Scripture about being from the tribe of Benjamin. And this is a big deal to be able to say that, to know that, to be able to claim that. Uh, it's as if he's able to say, listen, here's my family tree. I've got it lined out and I can trace it all the way back to the tribe of Benjamin. I'm not just making these things up. Look, here's how it traces all the way back to the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was uh, an important tribe in the people of Israel. It's where Israel's first king came from, King Saul, possibly even where Paul received his name, Saul. Um, so he's able to trace that back. It's important. He's saying, listen, I'm not just your regular old Israelite. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, in fact. And then he goes on to say, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am Hebrew and I was born to Hebrew parents. He spoke Hebrew. He was brought up speaking Hebrew and Aramaic. We see elsewhere in scripture. This is demonstrating that while Paul was brought up in a Roman society, in a Roman area, his parents didn't forsake their Jewish heritage. They continued to raise Paul in the customs and the way of life of the Jews. He strictly observed Jewish life and law as he was raised. It's important. It's a big deal for Paul to be able to put that on his resume, if you will. So he says, this is who I am. This is where I come from. This is the people I come from. Essentially, I'm a big deal, he's saying. And then he goes, that's not all. He goes on in verse 5 to talk about the ways in which he would achieve things with his life and what he did. He says in verse 5, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to the law, a Pharisee. We learn from Acts 22 that he was educated under Gamaliel, who was a leading Pharisee of the day. That would have been a important thing for him to be studying under Gamaliel. There are statements of him being a Pharisee found in Acts 23 and Acts 26. His approach to and the way that he observed God's laws and commandments was that of a Pharisee. You see, they would be all about obedience. We see the Pharisees have interactions with Jesus and his disciples throughout the Gospels, and they are all about obedience to God's law. And Hundreds more. They've added to it. Not only that, we've not only been after perfection in God's law, we've added a whole host of others. Look at me. Then he goes on in verse 6 and says, As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Now prior to his conversion, Paul, or Saul then, had quite a reputation 
quite a reputation as one who is a persecutor of the church, of those who are following Christ. In fact, Paul writes about this very thing in Galatians. In Galatians chapter 1, he writes, How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age, so extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He was zealous for what he had been raised to do, to achieve, to pursue with his life. And he saw those who were the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, and he tried to destroy it. And because of what he had tried to do, he developed quite a reputation. People were fearful of Saul. You think of Acts chapter 8, where Stephen was stoned, and it it says Saul approved of this. He was, in Acts 9, ravaging the church, imprisoning men and women. He was breathing threats. Murder. In fact, when he was converted on the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? His zeal for obedience to God's law and achieving perfection through it led him to persecute the church. And then finally, in verse 6, in this resume of Paul, look at what I've done. He says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. As to righteousness, as to law-keeping, blameless, he says. What was required by God, I was blameless. Here really highlighting Paul's effort, the level of commitment he had to upholding all that was required of him. He lived, as he would say here, an exemplary life of obedience. Not only fulfilling all that he could muster up and do, but also uh, following those sacrifices for atonement. And we know, and Paul knows post-conversion, that he really wasn't blameless. But he would have said he was blameless. Paul had devoted every part of his life to achieving perfection. Everything he did was driven by this consuming passion of perfection. And he did it so that he might achieve salvation, attain Salvation and a right standing before God on the day when he stood before him. Paul puts himself forward as an example of prideful confidence in self, prideful confidence in the flesh. When he says, look out for dogs, look out for evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. And I'm here to tell you, Paul says, I've been there. I've been one of them. I've done that. My life was consumed by that. Look out. Beware. Be on guard. Don't find your confidence in yourself. Don't find your confidence in your flesh and what you do, what you achieve. And he knows this full well now because he's now been saved by Christ. You think of his conversion in Acts chapter 9, and now he understands that that life of pursuit, of perfection, achieving all these things was, it was meaningless, it was futile. Worthless. In fact, we look at verse 7 and we see to what end did he pursue these things. Verse 7 and verse 8 as well. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. In verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss. I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. So Paul is, you know, one who had spent his life accumulating a resume of good deeds and good works and achievements. 
now starts to use these uh, accounting type words, thinking of counting things and how an accountant or uh, those who are counting up the money would count up what they have. And you think of uh, those Judaizers or Paul as a Pharisee or those who are achieving perfection, they think by works, they would love to sit and count them up, compare them maybe with one another. Oh, I did this, I did this, I did this. Oh, you did. Well, look what I did. I did this and this. They're counting these things up, putting them all in their plus column, if you will. Just like, you know, people, money changers would have loved to sit and count their coins. He's saying, I, I've counted all these up, but now he flips it on its head. And he says, I count it all, not in the plus, but he says, what? I count it all as loss. All these individual achievements and pursuits of perfection, all the ways I tried to keep God's law, all these ways of my reputation of being of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, it's all of it, one giant loss, he says. It's nothing, it's worthless. It means nothing in the end. He counts it as loss. In fact, he says, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them, verse 8, as rubbish. Count it as rubbish. We know this word to mean a muck or dung. And he means that to be an effective word that he's using. Where I used to say I have a large pile of achievements that will gain me acceptance by God, I now understand is a large pile of dung is what it is. It's nothing. It's repulsive. It's harmful. Paul understands this full well. He battles the Judaizers even in the book of Galatians. And he writes these very same things in Galatians 2.16. By works of the law, no one will be justified. He understands now, as one who's been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, that all these things I've tried to do and pursued with my life, these works of the law, it will never justify me. It will never gain me access or acceptance to God. I will never achieve the righteousness that God requires. It's meaningless. It's empty. It's harmful to me, to you. So as we consider what Paul's writing here, his warning to look out for dogs, his example of his own life, of one who pursued these things, to stop and think and ask ourselves the question, What's on your list? Do you have a list? What are you basing your confidence in as you consider yourself before God? Is it in your achievements, in your list of things? Is it what you've accomplished in your life? Is it in your status, your possessions? The approval of others that you so desperately might seek in your life? Is that what you're basing your confidence in? Paul would have us say, look out for that. Be aware of that. Recognize that it's wrong. It's no confidence at all if that's where you're placing your confidence. But as we consider our standing before God, make no mistake about it. The only way that you can be saved is by works. But not yours. The works of another the works of Christ. If you're depending on your own works to save you, it is all in vain, Paul says. He writes in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, For all who rely on works of the law 
are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So where's our confidence? Where's Paul's confidence? Well, now in the passage, he's going to highlight where his present confidence is. He used to find his confidence in those things, that stuff, those achievements. And now he understands it's nothing compared to a confidence, a humble confidence in Christ. So now in verses 7 through 11, we see Paul's present confidence a humble confidence in Christ. Let's go back to verse 7. We skipped some of this earlier. We'll read the rest of it through verse 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You notice first in verses 7 and 8 that Paul's life is now not characterized by a pursuit of perfection and achievements, but his life is now characterized by Christ. It's all about Christ. Notice in verse 7, whatever I had gained, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ, he goes on. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And it's for his sake, he says, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. His life is no longer about himself, his stuff, his achievements. His life is about Christ. That's why he's counted everything as loss. Why? For the sake of Christ, for the glory of Christ, for the honor of Christ, that that he might be praised. Not that he would receive honor and glory, that he would stand and say, look at me, God, I have earned your acceptance. No, he knows it's In vain, it's all of Christ, and he counts it all as loss. That's his life now. He counts it all as loss, he says, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And he also says that he might gain Christ in verses 7 and 8. Two ways of saying similar things. He wants to know Christ. He wants to gain Christ. Now, he's not saying, so I hope that I can know Christ and I can gain Christ. No, you see, Paul has Christ. He has gained Christ. He does know him upon his salvation, upon our salvation. We know Jesus. We have Jesus. We are united with him by faith. But now Paul's life is not characterized by himself and his stuff, but it's about he longs to know Christ more. He longs to gain Christ fully, perfectly, and knows that that will come in eternity one day when he's glorified fully. And so he counts everything as loss compared to that. He, in fact, he says, knowing Christ is the only thing that matters. It's of 
surpassing worth or value. Nothing matters compared to knowing Christ, to glory in Him. His life is consumed with Christ. It's His sole desire. It's all He wants. It's all He longs for. It's His consuming passion. It's His magnificent obsession, if you will. It's Christ. It's no longer self. No pride in itself, no achievements, no possessions, no status. It's Christ in all his glory. Paul writes elsewhere in Galatians 6, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We know this change came as a result of his salvation on the road to Damascus. And see, when Paul's works, when his achievements, when those were his only hope, his only place to find confidence, of course, his life was all about it. His consuming passion was that. But now, knowing that his hope, his basis for confidence is the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what he pursues in life. That's where his confidence is. And so now we see in verse 9, Paul's humble confidence in Christ. Look with me at verse 9. He ends verse 8, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul's confidence here is in Christ. He longs to be, he says, found in Him. That on that day when he stands before the Lord, he, he says, I'm going to be found in him, not myself. To have been united with Christ. And he says that he longs to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. He understands that all of this doing, all of this pursuit of perfection leads nowhere because he cannot attain to the righteousness which God requires. He cannot love God with heart, soul, mind, strength, and love his neighbor as himself all the time without fail. If he's going to have the righteousness that God requires of him, he understands it's not coming from me. It's not coming from you. It's not coming from any of us. The righteousness that God requires has to come from outside of us. It's an alien righteousness, as we so often call it. It's not a righteousness that comes of my own that comes from the law, Paul says. And then he says, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. If I'm going to have righteousness, it's going to come from outside of me and it's found in Christ. And the only way to attain it is not by my doing, but by grace alone, through faith alone, on the account of Christ alone. As God's law requires that perfection, we see that we're unable to do it in and of ourselves. We're sinful, we're fallen. But Christ has fulfilled all righteousness. We see Paul alluding to this in Philippians 2, verse 8, where he says, And being found in human form, speaking of Christ, he humbled himself by becoming obedient 
to the point of death, even death on a cross. Becoming obedient, Christ, upon his incarnation, comes to earth and is obedient, keeping God's righteous requirement on behalf of those who believe. We read in the book of Matthew that he didn't come to abolish the law and to get rid of it. No, he came to fulfill all righteousness for those who believe. And that fulfilling of all righteousness perfectly, all the time, without sin, led him to the cross where he would pay for the sins of those who believe, the just judgment for sin. And then having buried, he would raise again three days later from the grave, defeating death and sin finally for our justification. And then he would be ascended and raised to the right hand of the Father where he would be an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Paul knows his confidence is not in himself. There's no way it's possible. But I can have confidence, Paul says, but it's based on Christ, the person and work of Christ, who he is, what he has accomplished on my behalf. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3 that this righteousness has been manifested apart from the law, not in our doing. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ, he says, for all who believe. And then in Romans 4, 5, he says, And to the one who does not work, one who does not work, but believes in him, who trusts, who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work, who believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Do you notice that? He who justifies the ungodly. You want to be justified? You want to stand before God, accepted to have confidence to be righteous? God justifies the ungodly, not those who clean up their act, not those who fix a few things so I can stand before God and hope that I've done enough that he might accept me and forgive me of the rest. He justifies the ungodly, the righteous, Jesus for the unrighteous. Confidence comes in Christ, knowing that because of Christ, we have been justified by faith. And now we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the confidence Paul has. That's his boast. That's his, his claim. It's everything. The rest, it's nothing, Paul says. It's, it's worthless. It's a vain pursuit. And this confidence that Paul has is not only a present confidence for him, but one that extends into the future, into eternity. As he had said, he wants to gain Christ, to know him, to fully, perfectly gain Christ, to know him fully and perfectly. He's looking forward to that that eternity of knowing Christ fully and perfectly. And the confidence he has for that is, again, Christ. He goes on in verses 10 and 11 as we wrap up the passage. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He's looking forward to the resurrection hope that is sure in Christ, not in what he has done. You can recall the words of Jesus who said, though he die, yet shall he live the promises of God. That there is a future resurrection for those in Christ. There's hope and confidence in that, Paul is saying. A future resurrection. He goes on in verse 10. And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. He knows, I can still have confidence in this life as I share in his sufferings, as I struggle, as I face trials. 
Because this life is not easy. Because I'm in Christ does not mean that now I'm, well, I'm perfect, here I am. No, we still struggle in this life. And as he continues on, he still has confidence because of what Christ has done. And then he says in verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You see, Paul's writing this from prison. It very well may be that he's about to be executed. And he's saying, not that it's, I might achieve that resurrection by some things that I do before it happens, but he's saying that by any means possible, however it may come, whether it be I'm executed here shortly or whether I go on in this life and it comes later, however it comes, I can look forward to the resurrection from the dead. Confidence because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as Paul raises the attention of the Philippians to this wrong, prideful confidence in self and then highlights where our confidence ought to come in Christ, to stop and take consideration of Where is our confidence? Where is your confidence? Is it a prideful confidence in self, one that's in your works, in your status, in your possession, in your approval by others? Or is it a humble confidence in Christ? Do you find your confidence in Christ, His work, His cross, His suffering, His resurrection, His acceptance by the Father, His faithfulness? Where is your confidence? And if your confidence is in a pursuit of achievements, in a pursuit of perfection, in your works, in your doing, aren't you tired? We can never attain that in and of ourselves. It is provided to us graciously through the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Him. Rest in Him. Find rest in Christ and what He has accomplished on your behalf. So that as we consider our standing before God, it's one of confidence and it's one of boasting, but not in self. It's a boasting in Christ. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Find rest in Christ and boast in him. May your life be one that is characterized by glorying in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us by his life, death, and resurrection. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful, so thankful that we can indeed stand before you as those who are confident. We can boldly approach your throne of grace with confidence because of Christ, because what he has done for us. Lord, may we not be placing our faith, our trust in self and what we have done with our lives and our works and our achievements but may we find rest in Christ. We're thankful that even we who are unlovely, unworthy, you have loved us through Jesus. May he be our one 
consuming passion that we might gain Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.